Two minutes past the hour here in our nation's capital, Linnell Willingham. Here with you on the fan till about 10 o'clock tonight before I pass the rock to the JR Sport Brief Show. We were talking about Juan Soto to open things up here and no better person to talk all things MLB and specifically Juan Soto with than our friend Britt Giroli, senior MLB insider at The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter at Britt underscore Giroli. Britt, I appreciate you giving me some time. Yeah, no problem at all. And now, how are you? I am good. How are you? Would you like to peel the curtain back a little bit? Are we are we anywhere closer to your to your special day? <laughs> uh, I really hope so, but you know, <laughs> I don't really uh, get too much control over that. So I'm doing well. I'm, like all I've done is talk about Juan Soto the last four or five days. I'm glad the baby cared enough about my radio program to wait. <laughs> <laughs> Britt, let's start with the piece that you wrote a couple days ago in The Athletic. The headline reads, Trading Juan Soto is inevitable now for the Nats. Could you go into a little bit more detail about what led to that headline? And is is trading Soto really inevitable? I just felt like I've seen this movie before, right? And I think Nats fans have too. I mean, you you have two choices. You can let Juan Soto play it out like you did with Bryce Harper, knowing that you're not going to extend him and let him walk for free. Or you can trade him now and try to get something. And I think if you're Nationals, you are that's exactly what you're doing. You're trying to trade him because you know you can't extend them. So to me, if it happens in two weeks, if it happens at the end of the year, if it happens next trade deadline, it's inevitable, it seems, that the two sides can't come to an agreement. And so the Nationals can either let them off for nothing or they can trade In Britain. With the pattern of, of history with the Washington Nationals and not paying their guys and really using the excuse, well, we didn't pay Bryce Harper because we're going to pay Anthony Rendon. I mean, you don't pay Rendon because you can, trade, you can pay Trey Turner. And, and when, we, when we, they traded Trey Turner, it was, oh, well, it's because we're going to pay Juan Soto. Like you mentioned, we've seen this song and dance so many times before with this team. But I wanted to ask you this. How much does the impending sale of the team have to do with their reluctancy to pay Soto here? I think it's a big factor here. Just keep in mind that the learners aren't paying this bill, right? So um, 440 for them seems like a lot of money. And I think a lot of people are taking this as like a low-ball offer. I don't agree with that at all. This is more guaranteed money than Mike Trout is getting. Um, yes, AD is important to players, but baseball is all guaranteed money. So this was still a considerable offer for $100 million less three years ago. Um, I do think... The Lerner family is a fine line. It is, we want Juan Soto signed because it's going to make our organization worth more. But also, if we sign him for some crazy number like $550 million, is that going to make potential owners, new owners, pause? Are they going to say, well, it was nice that you locked him up, but now we got to pay this guy $40 million a year? How much does that handcuff what we can do now moving forward? So I think they're really trying to thread the needle here, knowing that, this really has a large impact on the sale of the, of the organization. Yeah, and as you mentioned, huge impacts uh, the, the potential sale is going to have on whether or not this deal gets done or not. I wanted to ask you this. We had kind of seen it sprinkled out there today. I, I was going through your, your, your tweets here before we brought you on here. Patrick Corbin and attaching his contract to Juan Soto and any potential deal. I mentioned that on Saturday, and it was met with some pushback because it's like, well, what team – is going to be able to inherit that big contract of Corbin and then go on to be able to have to pay Juan Soto. 
Is this something to where if you are the Nationals, you're attaching Corbin and saying, I'm not doing any type of deal unless he's in it? I really hope not, Lennox. I think it's a terrible idea all around. I mean, honestly, you are making this move because you want to rebuild the farm system, right? You want to shorten what looks to be a long rebuild. And if you're going to money dump Patrick Corbin, you're going to get a lesser return. So you're really not doing anything but saving money. So to me, it would just be a really awful look if this was to be included. I really hope, and I haven't confirmed this independently, I really hope that's not a deal breaker. I really hope it's not something that they're really looking at doing. Because, again, if you trade a franchise player, you trade a generational talent like Juan Soto, you want the best return possible. You don't just want to save a couple bucks. And, Brent, if you can piggyback a little bit on your last answer, what would a potential Juan Soto deal look like here from about how many prospects Washington could possibly get in return? Everyone keeps asking me that. I honestly have no idea. I've heard that they haven't been blown away by the early offers, um, obviously, or they would have probably made a trade already. I think you need some guys who are major league ready, and I think you also need a bunch of top prospects like can't miss, going to be in the big leagues very soon, top prospects. So I don't know the numbers. I don't know what it would take from each individual team, but it's got to be a haul, and it's going to be very hard for the Nationals to win this trade but really, they can't get embarrassed in this trade. I think that would be the, the main goal here is not, is not to get absolutely fleeced. And I don't know if that's possible with um, two and a half years of Juan Soto to trade. Yeah. It's going to be tough sledding, you know, whichever direction they decide to go. Joining me right now on the BetQL guest hotline, Bet Smarter, Beat the Books, download the BetQL app. Today is senior MLB insider for the Athletic, Britt Giroli. You can follow her on Twitter at Britt underscore Giroli. The big talk of today, though, Britt, has been the fact that the Nationals chose not to charter or fly out privately, Juan Soto, uh, to the All-Star game in L.A. You've been covering this league for a long time. How much of a standard practice is that, or are we just making too much of a big deal of the whole thing? Well, I guess it depends on how you look at it, because some teams don't do that. We know the Oakland A's don't do that, but we also know the Oakland A's are historically one of the (laughs) cheapest teams in baseball, and you don't really want to be associated. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't really want to be associated with them. So that's great. Um, I do think, uh, you know, Scott Forrest mentioned that, like, they couldn't charter. They certainly could have chartered a plane for him if it was that big of a deal. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not a great look. It, any way you slice it, it's not a great look for a guy who's participating in the home run derby. If he wasn't, maybe you could justify it, right? Like, why did he have to be there so quickly if he wasn't playing until Tuesday? So there's a lot of things at play here. But Forrest saying that to the media just shows you how contentious these negotiations have been, which shows you, as I wrote, they're not close. People keep asking, well, if 440 doesn't do it, what about 475? Like, they're not even in the same stratosphere. That's how bad these negotiations have gone. So you're going to have to trade him and hope, and this is my, like, pie-in-the-sky scenario, Linnell. They trade him. They got a bunch of prospects back. The new owner comes in, decides he wants to buy Juan Soto when he hits the market, and now they have a team that actually could maybe be good soon because they restocked their system. And they've got an owner who wants to buy Juan Soto. Yeah. So without any of the contentiousness from before, because that owner can be like, I wasn't here. Those weren't my negotiations. Right. So it's not all doom and gloom for that fans. That's like kind of the best case scenario there. But you know, certainly it's not, it's not a great time in D.C. Well, Brett, I know a lot of people were hoping that was going to be the case uh, with a guy like Trey Turner or Max Scherzer when they made the deal last summer. So hopefully crossing your fingers on that one. But, Brett, I wanted to ask you this as well. Is there a scenario in which the Nationals don't like any of the offers that they get 
And then they're forced with the tough situation of having to make a deal at the 11th hour two years from now. And then you you raise the fact and potential that maybe you can get nothing for Juan Soto. Has that crossed anybody's mind yet, including yours? Yeah, I mean, there's always that potential. I mean, even if they wait until next July, you know, there's the potential because you're not getting nearly as much value for Juan Soto, right? A year and a half versus two and a half. So, yeah, there's definitely that potential. But there's also the potential that, yeah, they don't do anything at all and you get nothing. And to me, that's the worst case scenario is watching this brand of national baseball, which has been terrible to watch this year, with Juan Soto on it for the next two and a half years, and then letting him walk away and getting nothing out of it. That, to me, is the worst-case scenario. Yeah, definitely would be the worst-case scenario. And, Britt, like you mentioned, the, the team hasn't been too competitive with Juan Soto so far in the fold. And, obviously, he's a young man uh, that has a supreme amount of talent. If there was somebody that we could blame in this situation from a fan's perspective, because that's what we're all looking for, who can we put the blame on here in this situation? Are we <laughs> mad at Juan Soto? I know we always talk about the AAV situation and why he declined the deal in the first place. Do you know or have any idea of what the potential sweet spot is for a Juan Soto extension? I, I think that they're probably more than $100 billion apart. Sheesh. I think I think – even if they had offered him $500 million, it might have looked better on paper, but you divide that out by the years. You think about the fact that they're looking for a record. They want a record that's going to hold up. Yeah. And I just don't think it gets done. So I don't think you can really blame the learners, and I don't think you can blame Soto for getting this close to free agency, knowing there's uncertainty with this organization and wanting to test the free agent market either. I don't really think there's a bad guy in this scenario I think it's kind of a perfect storm, honestly. I mean, if there's a bad guy, it's the, their failure to draft and develop and kind of keep the pipeline from 19 going. If there's a real scapegoat here, it's like, how did this organization go from being on top of the baseball world yeah. to being one of the worst teams in baseball, right? I think if this team was playing better, if this team you know, had a little more hope on the horizon, would that be enough to convince him to stay? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think the ownership uncertainty is a really key factor here, but certainly the team's play and where they're headed doesn't help. Brett, I was, as I was looking through this whole thing, I was trying to find any potential cop-out for the Nationals and the Lerner family. And tell me what you think about this and, and, and how deeply it may affect these negotiations, or if it even affects the negotiations at all. When they won the World Series back in 2019, it was followed up by the whole world changing uh, for the next two years, and it was the first time we've seen a champion in Major League Baseball have to deal with COVID-19 on the back end. They weren't able to benefit and, and, and receive the monetary gains that come with winning a championship in professional sports. How much of a pass do they get for this situation in light of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important caveat, and I'm glad you brought it up because I do think you know, the real money is, and I've told people this, the real money isn't having a star. The real money is winning because then people will come out. And that usually shows up, Linnell, the year after you win. So that should have shown up for them in 2020, right? In attendance, in numbers. And that would have directly translated into, like, not payroll, but into profit, at least, for the organization. So that's important to note, certainly. Um, it is very tough because it just seems like they continue to get the short end of the stick. Um, and that's another reason why people advocating that they should just back the truck up for Juan Soto, it doesn't translate into profit. Look at the Angels. Look at Mike Trout yeah. and Shohei Otani. They still can't win. There's still no one going to those games. Anyone who's been to Nats Pork this year 
can tell me attendance is down. Fans are not interested. Juan Soto is on the team right now. How will signing him long-term change? It won't unless you build a winner. That's the only way you're going to be able to profit again. And unfortunately for the Nats, the one time they won was the only time they couldn't profit off that title. So it's very important to keep in mind. Yeah. It seems like things, certain things just aren't meant to be in this baseball town, huh, Britt? <laughs> this is crazy. Well, I appreciate it's, you giving uh, me it's some sad. <laughs> I appreciate you giving me some time, Britt. You can follow Britt on Twitter at Britt underscore Giroli. Thanks for giving me some time, Britt. Yeah, no worries at all. Thanks for having me on, Leno. Always get smarter when we get Britt Giroli on the line with us. And she hit on something that I kind of touched on before we had her on. The idea of Washington and the Nationals and the baseball franchise not being able to benefit from the monetary gains of winning a professional sports title. We'll continue to discuss that on the other side of this break. But first, a quick message from my friends at the Reynolds team. Keller Williams Realty. Dot com. Linnell Willingham back with you here on The Fan. till 10 o'clock tonight before we dish the rock to the JR Sport Brief Show. want to give a big thanks to the Athletics Senior MLB Insider, Britt Chiroli, for hopping on with us and discussing more of this Juan Soto stuff. And as we mentioned, a lot to unpack here uh, with this Soto situation from a financial standpoint, from a what are we doing as a baseball team standpoint. And Britt hit on it. There is a scenario, and it is the worst-case scenario, as Britt Giroli called it, that the Washington Nationals two years from now lose Juan Soto in free agency for nothing. There is a scenario. It is not unfeasible to think that maybe Juan Soto was just never going to sign an extension here, and maybe you're never going to get an offer back in return That is good enough for you because this is how the way these things go. Once it becomes public knowledge that you are going to trade someone and that someone is unhappy with your club, the trade value plummets. It does. And this is just the beginning of this whole saga. We are only in chapter one of what could be a horror book if you're a Washington Nationals fan. Because all the reports say MLB trade deadline is in two weeks, August the 2nd. All the reports say that it's extremely unlikely that a deal is made by August the 2nd. And it shouldn't be. It, It should be very hard to get a deal done by August the 2nd because if you're the Nationals, you're trying to squeeze every drop of juice out of the orange, that is Juan Soto. But the one thing I don't agree with is continuing to wait this thing out. What are you gaining from not pulling the trigger on a deal here? Because as I just mentioned, as more time passes and it becomes more public and more well-known that you are going to trade Juan Soto no matter what, if you're opposing teams in, around MLB, why would you pull the trigger on a deal here? Why would you offer the Nationals something that we can call a real deal? It makes no sense. We saw the reports over the weekend from Hector Gomez. Said that the Nationals plan on waking, making one more offer to Juan Soto 
And if he does not accept that, they are 100% going to trade him. And according to Hector Gomez's report, that, and in, in, in for hopes of the Nationals, will come before uh, August 2nd in the MLB trade deadline. So really you're in a situation here where you're damned if you do and damned if you don't if you're the Washington Nationals. I don't really, I don't want to say I, I don't believe the report there from from Hector Gomez, but I don't I don't see that being the case. I think they're gonna this is something where you have to continuously negotiate for. Like I don't think you can, as far as we know, they've made, and I'm sure there's more, but they've made two offers, right? We saw three fifty, we saw four forty. Isn't that a hell of a jump from your first offer? I would like them to make that jump again. <laughs> if they really want to start calling bluffs out here, you make that jump again yeah. and then you can really start calling bluffs. But I just don't think this is a three-negotiation-only kind of situation. You know what Juan Soto is as a talent. You should be doing everything in your power. And if he's truly not going to sign, then you run that price up to $600 million. Because if he's not signing for you for $600 million, someone else somewhere else is going to have to pay him over $600 million. So run that bad boy up. And I think that's kind of what Britt Giroli was hitting on here to, to play devil's advocate to what you're saying. The learners may not or may be reluctant to throw on Soto that type of bag because at the end of the day, they're not going to be the ones who's going to have to pay it. So you're now limiting yourself to potential buyers. You're now only able to sell to someone who believes in Juan Soto as a product of being the face of this franchise moving forward. So I understand both sides of the coin, but I'm still pissed at the learners. I'm still pissed at the learners for a multitude of reasons, right? This team has nothing. Let's, let's like, uh, and I'm not here to slam baseball. I'm not here to slam the Nationals. I'm not here to slam the Learners. But let's call it what it is. Britt Giroli laid it out for us perfectly. The Washington Nationals right now are 19th in MLB in attendance. With Juan Soto on this roster. With Juan Soto on this roster, the Washington Nationals, by record, are the worst team in Major League Baseball. The Washington Nationals have the worst run differential in Major League Baseball with Juan Soto on it, right? Right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, those those numbers seem to be correct. I'd be hard-pressed to find 11 teams with worse attendance, but yes. uh, those are correct. Right. So the whole, the whole fact of the matter is the team stinks with Soto on it. Maybe it's time to hit the reset button just for that, just because maybe he's not the piece, maybe he is not the piece that's going to contribute to more championships here. Maybe he is somebody that will be better off in another town and organization where you can put multiple stars around him. Because with him being the only star and really only good bat here outside of Josh Bell, look at where it's gotten you. Yes, the pitching staff is putrid. Well, there's the devil's advocate there. Right. You say, what about this Patrick Corbin guy that we're paying all this money to and he hasn't been good? There's really no ace on this team right now. At all. And, and this is why I'm so hesitant to pull off a Soto deal and get back a Hall of Prospects. Josiah Gray was supposed to be the ace in the deal last summer. He was supposed to be the, 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 the ace buku. He was supposed to be the one. Does, does, does Josiah Gray right now in his first full year as a regular starter, we'll give him that. It's a caveat to everything. In his first full season as the starter, 
at best, Josiah Gray is what, your third starter on a good team? Your fourth starter on a good team? You traded away the farm last year. You traded away all your good pieces last year. Yes, they were struggling at the point that they traded them last year. But damn it, you didn't even give them a chance to get hot in the second half of the season. You hit the reset button. You didn't give a chance. You didn't give them any shot for 2019 to repeat itself. You had marquee talent. One of the best pitchers in the sport. Max Scherzer. You had the best shortstop in the game. And Trey Turner. I mean, there are there are so many places where I feel like they went wrong. And maybe it's not even them going wrong. Maybe it's just the grim, bleak reality of the situation. Baseball is relatively new here in Washington, D.C. Maybe you've already hit your peak. Maybe there is no more championships in the future of the Washington Nationals. Maybe you already got everything you're going to get. Because I would be, I would pay any sort of money, and I know anybody would out there because COVID was such a terrible time, right? Understand what I'm saying when I say this. I would pay any amount of money to pay for COVID to go away and then for us to be able to see what type of attendance this team would have had in 2020? How would how much differently would things be if COVID never happened? Because Prince Roley hit on it. Players, players don't drive revenue. Winning does. She had the perfect example. Down in Anaheim. Shohei Otani, Mike Trout. Two of the best in the game. They stink. They're like 10, 15 games below 500. They're one of the worst attendance in baseball. So they open up their checkbooks. They're paying guys. It's not equaling wins. It's not, it's not putting butts in seats. So if I'm Washington, and I know Britt Giroli knows way more about baseball than I do. I said it on Saturday, Denton. You don't. I'm not trading Juan Soto to anybody, and I'm making it very known, whoever I'm trading him to, you're taking Patrick Corbin. And you're still going to give me the top three prospects in your farm system. And you're still going to give me two to three starters that can come contribute right now. Because that's how good Juan Soto is. There's no precedent for this. That's the one thing that the Nationals have at their disposal and to their advantage. There is no precedent on a 23-year-old phenom being up for sale. There's no precedent. We don't have anything to go back on and look at and say, hmm, this is how you do it. There's nothing to go off of here. There's nothing. And a lot was made about the offer from the Nationals. A lot of people really didn't think of it as a true offer. A lot of people were caught up in the AAV, the average annual value, how much he's going to be making per year. John Heyman, MLB Insider, was on with the Sports Junkies this morning. He told them all about the AAV of Juan Soto's reported contract offer and whether or not it was fair to him. We'll let you hear that audio on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. Listen to The Fan. Lel Willingham here with you on The Fan. Plenty, plenty to discuss. Coming up in the next hour, top of the hour, Mo Dackel from JumpBall.net. We'll hop on with me to talk hoops and the potential of KD to DC Volume 2. Huh. Yes. 
Nothing says July 20th in the sports world like talking KD to D.C. in its second coming. Uh, we'll talk with Mo Dackel at the top of the hour about that. I want to continue to hit on this Juan Soto stuff, though. John Heyman, who's been all over this story, hopped on with the sports junkies this morning to discuss the AAV, which has been a hot-button topic of Juan Soto's contract rejection. He talked to Scott Boris over the weekend and had this to say. Uh, the fact that it's a $29.3 million uh, average annual value, uh, Scott did not think that was appropriate. Um, I'm sure Soto does not think it's appropriate either. You know, I'm sure they're like-minded. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they brought Boris brought up the Max Scherzer $43 million. There are a lot of guys making it in the mid-30s, but you know, Scherzer just got the $43 million contract that uh, Scott negotiated. And, you know, uh, I, it didn't sound like he seen any reason why it should be less than $43 million oh. a year. That was... John Heyman on with the Sports Junkies this morning. And when you hear a clip like that, that is what opens up the door for Mike Rizzo, for the learners, to be a punching bag here for us here locally in the media and for this fan base. Like I said, I'm a fan just like you guys are. You are negotiating with the best 23-year-old baseball player to ever walk the face of this earth, pretty much. You are negotiating with a man and a player who is who you want and who you know damn well should be the face of your franchise for the next 10 to 15 years. You've got to make him the highest paid player in the sport. That's not even a debate, right? But what is, I call it disrespectful. I'll call it a spade a spade. Be straight up with it. To be disrespectful enough to come with your second offer to be $14 million below market value If I'm Juan Soto, I wouldn't even want you to fly me to the damn All-Star game. I want to fly by myself. Why do I want anything to do with you at this point? And And then to try to turn the fan base against me, you then go out and leak the terms of the deal? No one gives a damn about the deal being $440 million in total value. Everybody knows it's about how much money you make per year. On average in that deal, 15 years, $440 million. Juan Soto would be making $29.3 million a year. You heard John Heyman just talk about the number that other guys have gotten that Juan Soto is in the same ilk of. Their deal averaged $43 million a year annually. And I'm no math whiz. I come from a small Division III college in the boonies and corners and cracks of West Virginia. But I know 29 and 43 are 14 apart. And now we're dealing with big boy money, so you're now $14 million apart. That's the type of thing that the Nationals are lucky Juan Soto even wants to continue to negotiate. You know, Boris, Boris is the real enemy here to me. Because Public enemy number we, one. I just can't win with this guy. He he makes me as a fan, he makes my life difficult. But he's arguing because, you know, he had the, the max contract, which was 43 the floor for this contract, like the absolute starting point if you're the Nationals, has to be $35 million a year. And the reason for that, guess who's getting paid annually $35 million a year? Who's a Scott Boris client? Enlighten me, didn't this? Steven Strasburg, <laughs> who, by the way, is not playing right now. But that has to be the floor. Because that's, I mean, if Scott Boris, he's thinking Max Scherzer, but the floor, he did the negotiations with his team. They gave Steven Strasburg $35 million 
Juan Soto has a better future than Steven Strasburg. That's obvious. I mean, we knew about the injury thing for years on years on years. It's not a surprise. So you have to start at that point. What the Nationals are doing is thinking, well, we're going to give them the most total money, and that's going to that's going to score all the, the headlines. But if you're doing it from a smart uh, vantage point, you have to start the floor at 35 per year and then go from there, hoping that you get to 43. That's what you call not good faith negotiating, Denton. And everybody out there knows that. And what's so striking about the Washington Nationals is their willingness to pay a broken-down pitcher who is whose best days are clearly behind him. And you have the opportunity to right that wrong that you did, paying the broke-down pitcher by saying, "Here, let's throw our money in some. Let's throw our money in a place that everybody agrees it should go. Pay the young twenty-three-year-old phenom that has an opportunity to be the best positional player in the sport. Pay the guy. Pay the guy that's the transcendent talent." Pay the guy that's doing things at his age that we've only seen Hall of Famers do. Pay that guy. Pay that guy. And as we mentioned it with Britt on the potential trade scenarios here with Juan Soto. Mike Rizzo and company, love him to death. Has done as good of a job as an executive as anybody here in town. Hell, I'll even go out on a limb and say it. Mike Rizzo is clear cut. The best executive in town, right? He's got one major flaw, though, on his record. This team's farm system is putrid. This team's farm system is not up to snuff. Which gives me zero faith in them being able to take someone else's top prospects, bring them here, and then properly develop them into somebody who could be a valuable asset for you in the future. Because they haven't shown the ability to do that. They haven't. I, I mentioned, I used the Josiah Gray example earlier. You know, and it's, look, Josiah Gray wasn't the only guy that got back in the deal, but he's been, he's the biggest name. He was the biggest name initially on paper. He was. Now we're, now, now we're stuck to hope and believe and pray that K-Bear Ruiz turns into something that, people didn't think he was going to be before the trade was made. Look at Victor Robles. <laughs> Victor Robles was supposed to be the next best thing here in D.C. He sucks. The kid stinks. Sorry. You'll get a cut and drive from me every single time. He's not good enough. My biggest fear in trading Soto and getting the Hall of Prospects back is that we become the team that consistently tries to catch lightning in a bottle. Like I don't think 2019 was... I think there was elements of catching lightning in the bottle, but I do genuinely believe that was a really damn good baseball yeah, team. Yeah, it's a veteran-laden roster. And it should have been you know, set up for years to come. Now, with COVID, like you can't control that. But my fear with trading Juan Soto away is we just get in this cycle because we're already partway in it. We let Harper go. We let Rendon go. We let Trey Turner go. We're in this cycle already. If we can't keep these guys, we just then get into a position where we're trying to catch lightning in a bottle, and you never really have anything to build off of it long term so you don't become a dynasty because the end game should be winning championships and becoming that next dynasty. I don't feel like you really are committed to that. If you're trading away a guy, the caliber of Juan Soto. Well, lucky enough for us here on this radio program, we could open up the phones for something like that. I want you guys to tap in with me. 
636-1067. You can get at me on Twitter and Instagram as well. N-E-L-L underscore BTP. Loaded question here for you guys. Would you rather the Nationals, quote-unquote, overpay for Juan Soto and then potentially not be able to bring in other marquee guys to surround him with? Or are you confident in this franchise's ability to trade him, get back a haul of prospects, and then develop those guys to where they could be future contributors for you? What do you have more confidence in? The team getting back a good haul for Soto? Or do you think paying him big bucks and potentially pricing yourself out from anybody else is the right way to go? I want to hear from you guys. MGM National Harbor Lister lines wide open. 1-800-636-1067. We'll take your calls on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. Nell's Quick Clicks coming up. Here's Nell's Quick Clicks. Click, click. One final segment left to go here in the hour. It's a fan favorite. Nell's quick click. Some of my favorite non-sports stories throughout the day and afternoon. And on July 20th, the driest day of the sports year, they like to say. We got plenty of non-sports stuff here for you. And the first thing I wanted to hit on here today was something interesting that I saw. Well, I was scrolling through Twitter earlier today. One of the most crazy stories uh, of the decade happened back in 2012. Notre Dame linebacker Manti Teo was in the midst of a Heisman Trophy caliber season. Everybody knows. Doing good business, making tackles, flying all over the field. When he found himself in the middle of a catfishing scandal that pretty much had everybody looking at each other like, what the heck? It's going on here. So there was a Stanford student that, you know, Manti Teo alleged was his girlfriend at the time. And according to Teo and everybody involved, he reportedly died of leukemia in September of 2020. So after further investigation, it became public knowledge that there was a little bit of white lies being told in that. That person wasn't even a real person, just an online persona. Now, Netflix, after their terrible quarter two numbers, that's what I kind of thought. Well, maybe they're putting this out because the numbers are just so damn bad. No, it's not a hoax. It's real. Netflix now going to revisit that Manti Teo story. And the man that portrayed the alleged girlfriend is going to be in an upcoming documentary titled Untold. The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist, set to air on August 16th via Netflix. Look, I remember how glued to the TV everybody was during the pandemic when The Last Dance came out. This is right up there for me with stuff that is must-see TV. Because going back in time and remembering that, 2012, it's my freshman year of high school, I believe. So you're just now starting to... You're just now starting to get hip to things like that, if I could use clean words. You're just now starting to find out that, you know, there's a there's an online dating world. You know, men like to date women. Women like to date men, things like that. Just finding out and peeling back the curtains on that part of my life because as a young, innocent freshman in high school, you don't know any better. 
But to hear this story and read it now as a 24-year-old, what the hell is wrong with Man Titeo? And why would you fake something like this? Why would you fake something like this? And the whole thing is, and I think we'll find out more in the untold Netflix documentary, maybe Man Titeo thought he was really in a relationship. Oh, he definitely thought he was really in a relationship. <laughs> but Netflix missed the ball here. This should have come out during the pandemic. 100%. Because yeah. a lot of these things, like, did you know Magic Johnson had a doc about him? Oh, Magic's got plenty of docs about him. Yeah, but he just released one. No. There's one on Apple TV. On Apple under the rug. So it's on Apple TV. Joe Montana has one that's on Peacock. Swept, swept under, under the rug. rug. Yeah. If you were glued, like, you can't go anywhere. You have to stay in your house. And everybody is watching Man. I mean, this thing would have been the biggest. Like, forget Tiger King. This would have been the biggest <laughs> right. thing on Netflix. Yeah, and I think Denton makes a good point there. Maybe they, everybody missed the ball here. But then I also have this layer of it, Denton. Would you want to compete against The Last Dance, a Michael Jordan documentary, one of the greatest professional sports stories ever told, arguably the greatest athlete in professional sports, the crazy person that is Michael Jordan, getting to get the insides and outs of how he thinks? It'd be hard to it'd be hard to compete. It'd be hard to compete, but that was only on Sundays. And as someone that was working in radio during that time, I would have loved Michael Jordan on Sundays and Manti Teo on like a Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it gets me through half of the week and then I'm good for the the main course with Jordan on Sunday again. So I'm reading here from the USA today, and Denton, I don't know if you knew this. So Untold Netflix was a series. It's now coming out with volume two. And I was talking to one of the producers over on the team nine eighty and we were talking about this guy, former NBA referee Tim Donahue, and the potential of him fixing games as an NBA referee. That's also going to come out in season two of Netflix's untold documentary series. So a lot of good things to catch up with uh, on the Netflix app. Next portion here uh, of Nell's Quick Click, something more positive. Not that that wasn't positive. It was more just funny uh, than anything. Our boy Terry McLaurin, run TMC was out in Miami partying, clubbing hard after he signed his brand-new three-year, $71 million extension. Terry McLaurin hit up the famous Mr. Jones. Forget cars, forget bling, shopping sprees. Terry McLaurin wanted to celebrate in the club. I loved it. So this is a story that comes from TMZ. McLaurin was there. He hit up Mr. Jones in South Beach to party hard. It's one of the most... Famous clubs down there in the Miami Strip. And there are cameras there, and they caught Terry McLaurin partying hard. I'll retweet it on Twitter here for you guys that want to see it. N-E-L-L underscore BTP. And right now, on the headline, there, there, is, there is a video as soon as you open up the link, and you get to see Run TMC party himself. And it was interesting reading the Twitter comments. Everybody was like, man, I think Terry could get down like that. Because Terry, you know, comes across as, a very laid-back, humble individual. I'll tell you what, Dan. Charlie was getting his freak on in the club, man. I'm telling you, it was special. It was fun to watch. It's everything that's right about professional sports. It's Terry McLaurin. I know we love to toot the horn or run TMC, but just to see somebody who we know for most of the year during the football season is never out in the club, unlike other people that play on the football team. Oh, Chase Young saw him in the club a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. Terry, wait until he earned it. Wait until he gets his big money. He's going to do his thing in the club the proper way. And he's not doing it at Rose Bar. No offense to Rose Bar. He's not doing it at Abigail. No offense to Abigail. He hits up one of the biggest clubs in the world, Craig. In the world. 
talking about Mr. Jones. Terry Clubbin's like a leap year thing. He does it once you every know? couple of once every couple of years. That's what I'm saying. I can I can go on the record and say I'm somebody who was pretty active in the DC club scene last year. Didn't see Terry McLaurin out not once. Not once. So the club also posted Terry McLaurin up in a makeshift helicopter while all the club goers were cheering him on. So Terry, picture this. I just retweeted. You guys can go watch the video. N-E-L-L underscore BTP. Terry's in a fake helicopter. And there was a longer version of the video that I saw on TMZ's actual website. Terry's throwing ones out of the helicopter. You get some ones. You get some ones. You get some ones. It's good to see that our $71 million man has got a $71 million personality too, man. You love that. I love when my stars can go out, act like stars. And look, normally when guys go out, Denton, there's reports going on the next day. Oh, we got in a fight. Oh, there was a girl. There was a girl involved. Oh, we got hit in the head with a bottle. Oh, he was sending flowers to somebody else's section, trying to hit on somebody else's chick. Terry, doing it the right damn way, man. Shout out to Terry McLaurin, the $71 million man, turned up at Mr. Jones uh, in my, whoa, <laughs> in Miami. Blame Brian Mitchell for any belching that goes on here today because – Every day that you work on B. Mitch and Finley, you gain two to three pounds. We get Bonchon, heavy loads of garlic, chi- uh, soy garlic, boneless chicken. And look, I ate that at about one o'clock. I've been full ever since. I've been full ever since. We got to take a quick timeout. That was Nell's Quick Clicks. Top of the hour, eight o'clock. Mo Dackel from jumpball.net joins me. We'll take a spin around the association and we'll ask him is KD to DC Part Two a real thing? We'll find out on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. You listen to the fan.